0: I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part one in the series Developing a Rule of Life. All of us live by certain rhythms and routines, good or bad, deliberate or arbitrary, and the current of life in the modern world, for most of us, doesn't exactly accommodate spiritual rhythms of life for thriving as a disciple of Jesus. So some of us work frustrated and stressed out to cram spiritual obligations into our already bloated calendars and wonder why we aren't experiencing significant transformation. But centuries ago, the early church offered an answer to this conundrum taken from the life of Jesus and they called it a rule of life. Here's a popular sentimental thought experiment. If you knew... You would die in a year or two, or maybe less, in a few months or a few weeks. How would the knowledge of your impending death change you? Most of us have no idea when we'll die. We only know it, it'll it happen. It will. But some people have a clearer sense, the terminally ill or very old. For some, the inevitability of death is a clearer shape on the horizon, um, which is interesting because Jesus was one of those people. He knew that he was going to die, and he knew when, basically. He talked about it often. He warned his friends. He said it's going to happen in this place at this time. And then he left them with deliberately curated sayings and teachings to prepare them for his death. Of course, all of his teachings was, in a sense, that. But toward the end of his life, before his death, burial, and resurrection, he started to prepare his disciples for his impending death. And one of those teachings is in John 15. So let's read beginning with John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, my disciples, my friends, are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. If you remain in me, and my words or teachings remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That word translated as a remain or abide in some of your Bibles is meno in Greek, and it can be translated stay united with me. In ancient Greek, there's no italics or or capital letters or underlining. So if you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. And in this short teaching, Jesus says, Meno, or stay united with me, ten times. So with his execution before him, Jesus tells his disciples, Listen, remember this. I'm going to be gone soon. Remember, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me over and over again. Jesus says, I'm not merely a set of teachings, nor a system of belief, nor an ethic, only I am a person, I'm your teacher, I'm your friend, I am your master, stay united with me. And for centuries, writers and thinkers, uh, particularly in the spiritual formation tradition, have argued that herein lies the secret, live all of life from the presence of Jesus, cultivate a moment-by-moment, day-by-day connectedness to the Spirit of God within you, and in doing so, access the presence of Jesus Himself. Remain in Him. When we do this, we become more so the person God wants us to be. We operate out of contentment rather than anxiety, which sounds great. We operate out of joy Rather than anger or frustration or cynicism, we operate out of hope rather than despair. The presence of Jesus transforms us over time into the image of Jesus himself. When we go from looking like ourselves with all its hang-ups and screw-ups into ourselves as Jesus, as the person Jesus has designed us to be. The thing is, for most of you, I would wager a guess, all of that sounds great. The problem is the lingering question of how exactly. And for the past several years, Van City Church has been on a journey to figure that out together and to somehow put it into practice. So a few years back, we reorganized our entire church, which was still brand new at the time, around the idea of practicing the way of Jesus together. We've been taking on the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus and using them to learn spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting, silence and solitude. But... We realized also that it takes a certain level of spiritual maturity to get into all those things, even to approach some of them. So we've been talking about other things as well, principles of emotional health and spiritual maturity, dealing with your past, discovering your identity and calling. And one question that comes up along the way more than once is, uh, this is great, but what do I do with all of it when we move on? We spend a month or two learning to fast which is a concept that's new to the vast majority of us, or we're learning to Sabbath, or learning to pray, or whatever it might be, but we can't stay in one practice forever, so eventually we move on to another thing. And maybe you feel as if this happens just as you're beginning to wrap your head around the thing. Or maybe some of you feel as if some of these things are actually unlocking something important in you, and learning it with a guided curriculum is helpful, but talking it through with the community is crucial, but it's tricky to implement in perpetuity. And that's understandable, whether you're active or lazy. We all live in a nonstop flow of information and digital noise. Push notifications and calendar events and TV streaming and social media, and then you have friends and spouses and kids. It's not like we don't have options to be distracted. We have an endless accessible buffet of them. Now, the thing is, we think of ourselves as uh, travelers in a uniquely distracting futuristic dystopia, We think like, oh, previous generations had the simple life, they weren't distracted, but we are. And there's an element of truth to that, uh, but the question of finding your footing with spiritual disciplines in the frenetic pace of life, especially a life not set up to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus, that question has been something that disciples of Jesus have been asking for centuries. And the early church offered an answer to the question, and it was something called a rule of life. Now, let me show you a few familiar passages and then pose a question that few of us think to ask. Look at this. It's the beginnings of a story that we covered in detail in our study of Matthew's biography of Jesus. Um, In the story, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the story goes on. Jesus, meaning at a specific time and place in his life, upon the Spirit's leading, decides to go into the desert for 40 days of both silence and solitude, spiritual discipline, and fasting, which is also a spiritual discipline. And that's pretty intense Jesus-level stuff. And we know the Spirit led him because the text tells us, but we also know that Jesus was autonomous. He decided to follow the Spirit's leading, which begs the question, why this time? Why these things? And of course, we can get those answers from the story, but the story paints a very purposeful picture Meaning it's not random or not spontaneous that out of nowhere he just decides to do this thing with no rhyme or reason to it at all. But he didn't, that we know of, do the whole 40 days of fasting thing all the time, maybe not even a lot. Other things he did all the time. Look at this. From Luke 5, it says, news about him spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him be healed of their sicknesses. He had a vocation, a calling, a work ethic, but... Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That wasn't just a unique one-off. The 40 days of uh, silence and solitude wasn't the only time Jesus did that. He often practiced silence and solitude, and he prayed all the time. This is just one example I could really spend the rest of the night with the prayer life of Jesus. He prayed all the time alone by himself, just him and God, or he prayed in the company of other people all the time. And that's not all. Jesus practiced other things that we call spiritual disciplines that we've been learning ourselves. He practiced community. He shared the gospel, obviously. He studied the scriptures. He attended synagogue. And once he was there, he didn't just sit there passively. He participated in it. And see, when we read the biographies of Jesus' life, they often play to the modern sensibility like a series of detached scenes. And we forget That Jesus didn't just wander haphazardly from one unplanned event to another as if life just kind of happened to Jesus and we get these weird non-sequiturs about it. He knew what he was doing. He chose when to pray. He chose when to study, when to practice silence and solitude, how to practice and express gratitude. He made space for community in his life. He made space for his work. He also made space for rest and time alone. He made deliberate decisions that enabled him to live simply rather than in excess to prioritize relationships, to be alone, to be with other people, and though neither he nor the authors of the New Testament called it this specifically, it seems abundantly clear that Jesus had what we now call a rule of life. It's a concept that was popularized by St. Benedict in the fourth century, but it might be even older than that. Benedict wrote out a very pragmatic guide to spiritual rhythms for each day, week, month, and year in his monastery, and he called it a rule of life. Before this teaching is over, I'll tell you in more detail exactly what a rule of life is in the pragmatic sense, but before we get to the specifics, I want to talk just a bit about why this matters in the first place. If you're like me... You're not a fan of rules, to say the least. I know some of you like rules, weirdos, but uh, some of us don't like them. Either way, don't let the language mislead you. It is a rule of life, not rules of life. Uh, It's actually derived from the Latin regula, where we get the word regulation. To explain it, some like to use this metaphor of like a vine and a trellis. For a vine to grow well, it needs a support of some kind, I'm told, an infrastructure to guide and nurture it as it grows up and out. Without a trellis, the vine can grow, but it's chaotic, it's vulnerable, it falls short of its potential. Thus, a trellis is much like a rule of life. Andy Crouch defines it as a set of practices To guard our habits and guide our lives. When a rule of life does what it's meant to do, uh, hypothetically, three things will start to happen. The first is that ideas become functional, ongoing practices. So a rule of life enables us to transfer ideas, things that we're learning and things that we know are good or, or at least valuable, things like prayer, fasting, or even broad concepts like the kingdom of God to transfer those ideas into the rhythm of the way that we live. And then by doing that into the muscle memory, as it were, of our lives so that they don't become that thing that we did as a church once a few months ago. But it's not just that. It's a way to bring the disciplines you learn into your unique season and rhythm of life. And when that happens, we can start to do the things that we actually want to do. There are things that we want to do on a superficial level, like eat and sleep and be entertained. And there are things that we want to do on a more personal level, like be productive or maybe realize a specific dream or be healthy or whatever it might be. And then there are the things that we actually want to do at a deep soul level, like know and be known by God and experience true freedom and walk in the empowerment of the Spirit in the everyday ordinariness of our lives. The first tier, the stuff like eating and sleeping, that comes easy. The second one's a bit more challenging. And the third level, for many of us, can at times seem uh, at least elusive, if not far-fetched or unrealistic. But think about it this way. It sounds hyper-mystic or philosophical, but really everyone gets this on some level. For each of us, there are layers of genuine desire that rule the major and minor parts of our lives. The New Testament differentiates between kinds of desires by saying that some belong to the spirit and some belong to the flesh. It may seem as if, based on the way that we talk or the way that we behave or the things that we do, that we don't deeply desire the way of Jesus, But if you follow Jesus and you have the Spirit of God in you, you do. A rule of life can help us live in alignment with our deepest desires. It's actually pretty simple. The ordinary rhythm of life for most of us is set up to keep us mired in the stagnation of superficial desire or the flesh. We keep a smartphone in our pocket. We can access Netflix with the push of a button. We orbit circles of gossip just by going to work or hanging out with people. We pass half a dozen opportunities to lust on a given day. Unless we deliberately rewire the spiritual rhythm of our lives, we will likely soldier on alongside the status quo. A rule of life can be the way we accomplish that rewiring, and in doing so, finally get a sense of peace. Peace, that is, the way that God means it, what the Hebrew authors call the uh, shalom of God, which is a sense of contentment or closeness to God that we know what is right and good even in a broken and disheveled world. Now, here again, I know some of you, like me, don't take kindly to rules, but please hear me when I say this, you, all of you, already have a rule of life. It's likely unwritten, maybe even subconscious at times, but there is a rhythm and a routine to your life, whether you like it or not. The way that you get up, the way that you go to work, when you sleep, what you do before you sleep, and on which days, how you spend your money, the kinds of things you prioritize, your projects, your family, your phone, your friends. All of us have a rule of life right now at this very moment. And as you'll see, the more we get into this, it's, it's not like every item on your rule of life must be profoundly spiritual sounding, but ask yourself this, when you scan your brain and take kind of a passing inventory of your life rhythms, are they aligned with the deepest desires of your heart for your life, for your family, for your future, for the kingdom of God? For the next few weeks, the idea is that we want to help you develop a rule of life. And this is not to give you more work. This is certainly not to give you another thing to do, not to confine you or restrict you. The idea is that we would find more freedom in doing this. Margaret Gunther, who's a wife and a mother and an Anglican priest, says it well. She says, a good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget, not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never constrict us. So the idea is to take a look at your own personality, your season of life, the person Jesus has asked you to be, and to establish for yourself adaptable rhythms that will enable and empower you to live and thrive as a disciple of Jesus. And before we get to the nuts and bolts, let me tell you guys a bit of backstory about all this. Years ago... When we were developing the curriculum of spiritual disciplines that we now call Practicing the Way, it was a good year before we even started it here at Van City. We knew then that a rule of life would be a necessary and major component, but you can't start with one because there's nothing to put in it until you learn some spiritual disciplines. And we knew that it was probably the linchpin of the entire uh, Practicing the Way idea. And it's almost like uh, we entered into something like a writer's room, which is a, a movie metaphor. See, in screenwriting, A a writer's room phase is an early stage in developments of some scripts when several writers get together and they pin concepts and ideas to a board. They'll say like, oh, this would be a cool scene if this happened. What if we had a character who did this? Uh, The protagonist should do this at some point. Maybe we could have a conflict. Maybe it could happen here. All that is kind of a blue sky brainstorm. But then at some point, the actual screenwriter has to take all of that interpret and adapt it, put it all in order, and turn it into a shooting script that will guide the movie forward. So we've been in something like a, a writer's room for the last few years. What, what will it look like for us to learn fasting in our unique stages of discipleship, seasons of life? We took that on. What about silence and solitude? Or how do each of us learn to do community? What does it mean to pray for someone who's brand new to Jesus and for someone who's been following Jesus for decades? And we're not finished with the practices yet, but we've put so many things on the board at this point, so to speak, that it's time to bring them into the flow of a life rhythm. The rule of life is like the shooting script phase. It can still be revised, still go through changes, and it will, but it's time to put something on paper and move forward with it. Now, I'd come across the rule of life concept in my uh, reading years prior, and I found it interesting. Even I adapted very small aspects of it into my spiritual disciplines, but I hadn't really taken it on with any real focus until last year as the summer was coming to an end, and I was feeling particularly wonderful because the summer was coming to an end, All right? Nobody? Well, there's usually one or two. No one? Is it you? You hate summer? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, So, I'd begun to research uh, this series back then. I started my reading and I started to map out an actual detailed rule of life for myself. And something weird happened. I found it to be transformative for me personally. I've been at this whole following Jesus thing for the better part of my life now. I did the math. Um, and like all of you that, that follow Jesus, there have been ups and downs. There's been seasons of intimacy and fruitfulness, and there's been seasons of you know, detachment and drought and even despair. But the thing is, I'm not new to the spiritual disciplines personally. Some of them, like getting up in the morning to pray or read the Bible, I've been practicing with various degrees of faithfulness and lapses in faithfulness. I've been practicing those things for many, many years at this point. Um, I've fasted, I've done silence and solitude, I've done scripture memorization and contemplative prayer and community like a lot of you guys. But what I found happening is that the disciplines that come naturally tend to implement with some degree of ease, like, oh, I really like doing this, so I can work out a way to keep doing it. But the ones that are tricky, even if they're good, and I know that they're good, I kind of learn them, I work on them, and then I excuse them to the background until something reminds me of their benefit, and then I have to relearn them all over again. And that's not all bad, because you can't do everything all the time, but I found myself realizing from time to time that I was likely inhibiting my own growth by not creating practical ways to practice generosity or practical ways to regularly rest or, or whatever it might be. Because the spiritual disciplines are all a means to an end. They are not the point, God is the point. Learning to live connected to him, hearing him, walking with him, becoming who he has made you to be. And what I realized is that I already had a rule of life uh, I tend to sleep in the same basic time frame, my mornings take the same basic shape, give or take my work days and work habits, the way that I approach projects and how, the, the time that I spend with, with my wife, Abby, and with the kids, the time that I spend with my friends. And I realized that creating a new, deliberate kind of rule of life didn't mean cramming all kinds of new and extra things into what already felt at times to be too much. It was organizing what was already there for more freedom letting the stuff of little or no value go and replacing it with what I know will do me good and more of what I already was, was doing that was doing me good. And these past few months have been really, frankly, significant in my discipleship because of the implementation of my rule of life. Honestly, I don't, I don't mean to hype it. It's not an answer to every problem in your, in your life or discipleship. It is, like all the spiritual disciplines, a tool to use And used well, I think it can be powerful and effective. And we're going to spend the next few weeks, if you're up for it, developing a rule of life. I'll take you guys through the major building blocks. I'll share some of my own rule along the way for ideas. You can take them or leave them. And each week, you'll meet together in your communities to talk it through, figure it out, and help one another put it into practice. I want to suggest just a few things to keep in mind as we begin this practice. The first one is the suggestion to just start small. Getting amped up and writing out a rule of life with two dozen things on it that you're not currently doing and that require major life upheaval to begin in the first place is a great way to break your rule of life right away. So my suggestion is just start where you're at, not where you want to be ultimately, And don't be discouraged that you have to start small. Honestly, taking on a few small, realistic, even fun goals does move us forward in our spiritual formation because we start to see what we're missing little by little, and that we start to see that there's more for us, and then we grow a little bit at a time. If spending an hour in prayer and in reading the Bible every morning is where you want to be, but you're not, right now you're you're spending exactly zero seconds in prayer and reading the Bible every morning, then start, don't start with an hour, start with a few minutes. When you wake up, before you reach for a phone, um, say hello to God, read a psalm maybe or, or a chapter from a gospel, sit in God's presence for a minute or two and then begin your day. And then later on, when that starts to feel um, like muscle memory to you, you might add to your reading, or you might add another prayer discipline, contemplation, or imaginative prayer, whatever it might be. But start small and be specific. Writing abstract concepts like "be more generous" or "relax more" won't go far in producing you know quantifiable outcomes. But writing something like I will begin to give 10% of my income to the church or I will buy dinner for someone every month or I will Sabbath every single Friday or I will turn off my phone for 24 hours once a week. Things like that, they will produce quantifiable outcomes. And next, go for uh, subtraction over addition. Don't cram more stuff into an already bloated routine. The idea will be to take an honest look at how you're spending your time and to organize it wisely so that you prioritize what's best and you eliminate what's no good. To do that, you'll need to remember your season of life and your stage of apprenticeship. If you're 20-something and single, your rule of life will look very different from, say, an empty nester. Or if you're raising three toddlers, your rule will look different than someone who has one newborn or who has three teenagers in their house. If you're brand new to Jesus, this is a great time to take on the, the most simplified basics a little bit at a time. But if you've been following Jesus for decades, you'll need something more advanced, and you may need a change to what you're doing right now so that you can break out of stagnation or numbness. And even when we are in similar seasons of life, a lot of you are, we're still all very different, so you need to remember your unique wiring and personality as well. If you connect with God in nature, then go on hikes, schedule them or whatever. If you connect with God through art, then make time for books and films and music. If time by yourself replenishes your soul, then prioritize that. If time amongst friends does that for you, then schedule that. But remember to balance Your practices, balance downstream and upstream practices, meaning we all have at least some spiritual disciplines that connect with our dispositions in such a way that they come easy and they feel immediately rewarding, at least one or two. Others are really hard to do, but they're all important. So I love imaginative prayer. I do it all the time. It comes really naturally to me. It feels really rewarding to me. It's great. Um, Fasting is tough, you know me and the anti-summer guy over here. um, Fasting is really tough for me. It's not, it's frankly no fun. Uh, but I see the benefit of it. I've been implementing of it. It's hard. One is upstream, one is downstream. Community is still very important for self-proclaimed introverts. Silence and solitude is still very important for those of us who prefer to be around people. Worship is crucial, even if you feel funny singing, and reading the Bible is crucial, even if you don't tend to read books a lot. And at the end of it all, A good rule of life is a tool. It's not a shackle. You'll still be free to interpret the rhythm, reinterpret the rhythm, interrupt the rhythm when life demands it, and you can adapt it along the way. One thing I found in living into the rule I'd written was that with more attention to certain prayer disciplines in an organized way, my mind started to naturally gravitate to prayer in the trivial moments of the day in line at the grocery store or walking back after I took my kid to school or whatever it might be. And I didn't push the urge to pray away and say, no, it's not my scheduled time. I made a rule, you know. A good rule is structured, absolutely, but it allows for spontaneity and revision. It's an ever-evolving work in progress. And again, the rule is a means to an end. The end is not to follow the rule It is to become someone who is more with Jesus, more like Jesus, and more capable of doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. So the first practice for the communities is a simple one, and it's up at vancity.church slash Life. When you meet in your communities this week, you'll talk through the basic categories for what a rule of life is and take a look at how your current life rhythm populates those categories just as it is right now with no changes. If you're not yet in a Van City community, feel free to meet with a friend or two and give it a shot. There's no uh, one design for a rule of life as ancient as it is, but ordinarily the categories unfold something like this you have abiding, the mind, the body. Relationships and sexuality, work and rest, money, and gospel and hospitality. So, abiding are things like a morning prayer, scripture reading, worship. The daily office, the examine, things that we've done in our um, prayer practice. Sabbath, fasting, silence, and solitude. The mind uh, category is populated by things like, again, reading scripture, spiritual reading and study, um, coming to church on Sunday, gratitude, uh, uh, writing a digital rule of life, which is something we'll do. Um, Sabbath, uh, a daily limit on device use, curating the stuff that goes into your head. A body, the body category is things like um, sleeping well, regular exercise, diet, um, doctor's visits, uh, apparently vitamins is a thing I read. I was like, oh, wow, vitamins are really important. Honoring God with uh, your sexuality by living according to the teachings of Jesus, all the stuff that has to do with the body, taking care of the body, honoring God with the body. Relationships, things like uh, weekly phone call or coffee. With a relationship that's important to maintain a best friend or something like that. A weekly meal with your community, which a ton of you already do. Um, uh, Church on Sunday. Well done. You already did that one this week. Uh, For married couples, it's things like uh, a weekly date night or cultivating healthy sexual connections. Or for families, it might be something like sitting down to dinner um, at least five nights a week or more. Going on vacation together. Things like that. Um, Work and rest. Things like um, focused work each week, a fixed hour schedule, dedicated time to an entrepreneurial project if you're taking that on, how you'll do it. Um, Getting good rest, sleeping, you know, the jury's out on how much you should sleep, but you should sleep some. Uh, Weekly Sabbath, uh, a nothing night every week, which is a night where you clear the calendar and don't do stuff, which is good. It's nice when you see that about to happen. Um, The money category, things like tithing, what Cam was up here talking about, making a budget, which is something we should all do. Simplicity, um, you know, setting aside funds to bless a person in need or just a friend, sponsoring a child, that kind of thing. Gospel and hospitality are things like inviting a friend to church or a regular night to host neighbors for dinner or spending time, um, you know, going to lunch with coworkers or serving the poor through volunteering. These are the basic categories that will make up your rule of life. And we'll explain each as far. You didn't have to memorize those or anything. We'll explain each the further we go in the practice curriculum, curriculum for your communities and over the next few weeks here in the teaching side of things. This week, the idea is, without judgment or pressure, because everyone's going to be on basically the same page, sit down and think about what you're already doing, the rhythms of your life as it is, the things that you're not doing and what you'd like to be doing, so that you can start to put the uh, pieces in place. I found it helpful, personally, to start the process... Jotting down thoughts and ideas in a journal, making note of what I was already doing, what worked, things I already knew needed to change or at least be refined all before I completed or implemented any part of the rule of life. Maybe you're thinking like, oh man, my life is a disheveled mess. This is going to be horrible. But chances are there are already great things that you're doing for a rule of life in your ordinary rhythm. If you come to church, which you have this week, that's you, well done. If you're in a community, that's also part of you. Pray with your kids. If you go on a jog, if you go on vacation, those are all great things to implement or write down, refine into your rule of life. Before you have a functioning rule, try things out. You just... Test a few things to see if they fit or if they need adjustment. Like, oh, this seemed like it would really work, but then when I tried it, it was awful. I had to actually adjust it some. That's totally fine. Revise the rule along the way. And then, when we arrive at the conclusion of this series, my humble suggestion will be that you commit to your rule of life, at least for a small season. It could be something like, for the next three months, I'm going to try this without fail, You know, maybe even something like a year. And you adjust it as needed along the way, but don't give up when you encounter the inevitable complication along the way. And as you go, take note of how your rule is and isn't shaping you, and how you feel, and how you grow. When we started talking about this as a staff a few months ago, um, Megan, who works here with our kids, she put it really well. She said it sounded good to her because she would simply like to organize her life. Um, which I thought that's an excellent way of putting it, that I'm not an organized person by nature, but I, lived with, uh, I live with the world's most organized person, so it worked out for me. That's my suggestion to everyone. Find someone else and be like a parasite uh, the leeching off of their organization. But organized or chaotic, we all have rhythms, and we all need rhythms to follow Jesus well. It seems to me that spiritual disciplines, without a rule of life, is a bit like learning the piano with no piano lessons. Can one learn to play the piano simply by toying with it when the mood hits or coming and going as they please and learning something here and there? Probably, I'm sure someone has, but it's likely clumsy and probably pretty inefficient, and I doubt anyone will master the piano that way. But if they implement lessons into the rhythm and calendar of their lives, what if they said, on these days of the week, I will spend this many hours with a teacher, I will study alone on these nights and at these times, and I will structure my time to accommodate these things, pushing these things out so this can go in. Well, then I assume it would be much more possible for them to master the piano. You can see where I'm going. It's a very thinly veiled metaphor. So a rule of life is an attempt to arrange our days and weeks and years so that we actually start to experience a deep sense of life with God. Remain in me, remain in me. To end, I want to read uh, you guys the prologue from St. Benedict's Rule from the 6th century because I think it's a great place for us to start this series and end this teaching. He wrote, In drawing up its regulations... We hope to set down nothing harsh, nothing burdensome. The good of all concerned, however, may prompt us to a little strictness in order to amend faults and to safeguard love. Do not be daunted immediately by fear and run away from the road that leads to salvation. It is bound to be narrow at the outset. But as we progress in this way of life and in faith, we shall run on the path of God's commandments, our hearts overflowing with the inexpressible delight of love. Let me pray that that would be so in the days and weeks to come. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancitychurch. You can support Van City financially at vancitychurch/give.